So the reading this morning is from 1 Peter. We're starting at chapter 1, verse 22, and going through to chapter 2, verse 3. Now that you have, been puri- now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is, what, and this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave spiritual Crave spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Thanks, Chris, and uh, good morning, everyone. I must say that uh, when I came out this morning and saw the... uh, the cloud and the fog and the, uh, the dismal morning, it uh, made me feel pretty low. But uh, coming to church and being here with all of you, singing God's praises and uh, just being part of, of God's family uh, makes all the difference, doesn't it? And I hope it does for you too. And, uh, you know, I was thinking when all the kids were up here for the kids' talk, <clears throat> that um, I was thinking that if there's one thing that we know about here at Riverbank, then surely it's babies. Um, I mean, I, all of these children that are out the front this morning. And did you know that, uh, that we've been blessed with about 30 new babies in the last three years? Just a few days ago, Rowan and Leanne were blessed with the birth of little Florence. And there are quite a few more on the way in coming months. But you know, if we, if we know a lot about babies here at Riverbank, then surely we also know that that when babies are born, you don't need to tell them that they need to feed. You don't need to teach them to get hungry or to cry out for their mother's milk. Of course, some mothers and babies have their struggles, especially at first. But yet the basic longing, the basic desire for food and sustenance, it's, it's completely automatic. It's completely natural and expected and expected. Well, my friends, Peter is using this well-known fact of life to teach us something important about our Christian experience. For in verse 23 of our text, he says to us there, for you have been born again. Here's the beginning of the process. Just like all the babies in this congregation, Peter says, there's a sense in which we as Christians, have been newly born. But then in verse 2 of the next chapter, he tells us what follows. He says, like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk. Peter says that if we've been born, then it's completely automatic that we will crave to be fed, that we will crave pure spiritual milk. And so as Christians, we need both new birth and 
pure milk. One is the completely natural consequence of the other. But what does all that mean? Well, that's what we're investigating today. We want to understand, first of all, what it really means to be born again. But then we also want to understand what it really means to crave pure spiritual milk. Now, you may be thinking that you've heard uh, this concept of being born again somewhere else. And you'd be right in thinking that because Jesus speaks about it in that well-known passage in John chapter 3. There, Jesus was in conversation with Nicodemus. And he said to Nicodemus, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. To this, Nicodemus quite understandably responded, How can someone be born when they are old? And Jesus replies, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Jesus is speaking not of physical birth, but he is speaking of cleansing, of a cleansing spiritual birth. And so later in that same chapter, we find those famous words, don't we? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. This already tells us that being born again, it's a concept that God himself uses to describe his glorious salvation. And so that means that every true Christian has been born again. That means that if you are a true Christian, then you have been born again. And you know, that's important. Because you see, sometimes people describe themselves as, or others as being born-again Christians as though that's some kind of distinct category of Christians, a higher, a more spiritual, a more fanatical category of believers. But we need to understand this morning that that is not a biblical concept. Every genuine Christian is a born-again Christian. And that makes perfect sense in the context of 1 Peter. For throughout this first chapter, Peter has spoken to us of, of salvation in, in many different ways. In the opening words, he speaks of God's elect who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. In verse 5, he mentions the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. And in verse 9, he speaks of the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And in verse 10, he says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently. In verse 13, Peter says, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Christ Jesus is revealed. And in verse 19, he explains that we are redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. And then also in our text for today, Peter begins in verse 22 by saying, Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth. You see, we are purified from the, from the filth of our own wickedness by, the, by obeying the command to confess 
and to put our hope in Christ and in Christ alone. And then we reach those words that we're focusing on in verse 23. For without any further distinction, Peter says, for you have been born again. My friends, to be born again, which is sometimes referred to as regeneration, it is to be rescued from your sin and the punishment it deserves through faith in Jesus, the crucified and risen, who paid our debt and washed us clean and as a result opens the way into God's kingdom where we can experience eternal life. The concept of being born again is like a a synonym for salvation, but yet it also expands our understanding of salvation, adding vital elements. And I'd like to mention three of those. First of all, being born again reminds us that our salvation is first and foremost the work of our God. Just as we ourselves are totally unable to bring about our physical birth as a baby, so we are totally unable to bring about our spiritual rebirth as a Christian. We are so desperately lost in sin that we're just incapable of changing, incapable of turning to God. And so we can only ever do so by God's grace as he sends his Holy Spirit to work within us, giving us the strength and desire and understanding that we do not have of ourselves. That is why verse 3 says that God the Father, in his great mercy, has given us new birth into a living hope. Secondly, being born again reminds us that our salvation involves a, a total transformation. Just as you cannot compare the experience of a baby before and after their birth, so you cannot compare our experience before and after our rebirth. You see, Christians aren't just people who've had a a slight adjustment to their thinking or their priorities or their worldview or their behaviour. No, my friends, Christians are people who once were dead and now are alive. We have undergone a radical conversion that turns every part of our existence on its head. And my friends, it's for that very reason that Peter says that we are exiles, suffering grief in all kinds of trials. Because you see, we are so, so different to this world. So different that we just don't fit anymore. And thirdly, being born again reminds us that we are the recipients of life, of true and eternal life. For just as the birth of a baby leads to life in this world, so does our rebirth. Listen to Peter in verses 23 to 25. He says, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God, For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. 
We all know of that perishable seed that all humans are born of, a seed that leads to a short life here on earth. But as Christians, as Christians, we are born again of an imperishable seed that leads to a life that will never end. For in Christ we are saved and now we are destined to live forever with our Lord. But these same verses show us something more, don't they? And that is that our salvation, my friends, is inseparably tied to the Word of God, to the Holy Bible. It is, it is the Bible which is the seed by which our new life is conceived. It is the power that brings about our rebirth. Now that Word of God can come to us in different forms. It may come in a sermon or an evangelistic message, which is why in this church we hold unswervingly to the practice of preaching not human ideas or human philosophies, but the Bible from beginning to end. It may also come to us in the words of a prayer, or a song, or a tract, or a book, or a blog, or even a conversation, insofar as those things truly reflect the Bible's truth. But obviously, the purest and most complete form of God's Word is found in the very words of the Bible itself. And my friends, that is why the very best way to help a person to come to know Christ is to get them reading the Bible for themselves. That's why in our efforts to grow evangelism here at Riverbank, we've been promoting the concept of one-to-one -one Bible reading. For what better way could there be to expose a person to the truth and the wonder and the call of the gospel than to help them to read the very words of Jesus himself? And so as we think about our commission to make disciples of all nations, as we think about the people who we know in our own lives who are heading to a godless eternity, and as we think about how we can communicate to them the good news of Jesus, well, let's never forget the power, my friends, is in the Word. And so what could be better than to give them a Bible and to offer to sit down and read it with them together? My friends, Peter reminds us that we and all true Christians have been born again. We were dead in our sins, but now we're alive. We've been brought to life. We've been regenerated by the work of God's Holy Spirit through the promises of God's Holy Word. We could never have done it ourselves. It is the gracious act of our Lord and it brings about total transformation we are new people changed to our very core. And now we are assured, not just of a better life on this earth, but we are assured of eternal life in the glory of heaven with our God. But that brings us to our second point, that completely natural consequence of new birth. For as we said earlier, when a baby is born, it's, it's just automatic 
for them to long for the food and sustenance that they need. And in the very same way, Peter says to us, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk. This is the progression that Christians should see and experience in their lives. But what's that all about? Well, if we read all of verses 2 and 3, it says this. It says, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up. You may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. The first thing I need to say here is that that there are actually other places in Scripture where milk is used negatively as a metaphor for teachings that are suitable only for the immature. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it, says Paul in 1 Corinthians. But my friends, we need to understand that's not the point in this passage. Peter is speaking about milk positively as a constant diet that all born-again Christians need throughout their entire lives. And Peter explains that the reason why we crave for this milk is because we want to grow. We want to grow up in our salvation. When a baby doesn't grow, then we know there's something wrong, isn't there? Well, my friends, when a Christian doesn't grow, then there's something wrong too. My friends, if someone has been walking with the Lord for 10 years, for 30 years, for 50 years, and they're still childish in their faith, still juvenile and self-indulgent in the way they speak, still foolish in the way they act, then you truly have to wonder if they know the Lord at all. Even if they're a regular churchgoer, if they don't grow, well, there's something wrong. But Peter also explains that true Christians will crave for this milk because they have tasted that the Lord is good. You see, my friends, once you have truly experienced the, the love and the grace and the, and the glorious blessings of God, well, well, Peter says you'll be hooked. You'll want to know him more. You'll want to know him better. You'll want to grow nearer to him. You will increasingly want to live your life in line with his word and his will. So what is this this spiritual milk that born-again Christians are craving for? Well, in one sense, it's all the teachings of God's Word. But more specifically, it's what we talked about last Sunday. It's the message of holiness. For just as newborn babies hunger for their mother's milk, so born-again Christians hunger for the milk of holiness. That's why already in the opening verses of this book, it says that those who've been chosen by God for salvation have also been chosen for obedience to Christ. That's why from verse 13, having described the wonder of salvation in so much detail, Peter says, therefore, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. And he says, therefore, just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. New birth leads naturally to pure milk, 
the milk of grace motivated holiness. But in our passage today, Peter zones in even further. He zones in on a particular aspect of this holiness. For in verse 22, he says, Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. Absolutely central to the concept of holiness is the concept of love. And even though we are called to love God, to love our neighbour, to love the lost, to even love our enemies, what Peter is focusing on here in this passage is our love for each other within God's church. But what does it mean for you and me as born-again Christians to love each other here in this church? Well, it means, first of all, that we need to have a relationship with each other. We need to get to know each other's names. We need to smile at each other, be friendly to each other, say hi to each other. We need to listen to each other's stories. We need to spend time together. And most importantly, we need to share together in our Christian journey. But more than that, we also need to care about each other. We need to be kind and compassionate, concerned for each other's well-being, each other's spiritual well-being as well as physical well-being. But we also need to take action to look after each other. And that means extending our relationships well beyond Sunday morning and well beyond the walls of this building. We need to call and visit and send texts and emails. We need to spend time laughing together and crying together. My friends, we need to show hospitality, taking meals and offering lifts and finding other ways to help. And most of all, we need to point each other to Jesus, encouraging each other in our faith. But even more than that, we need to remember that true love is sacrificial. It doesn't only love the lovable and the deserving and the people who can pay us back. It doesn't come with strings attached. It doesn't quickly reach its limit. True love goes above and beyond, giving more, even when it hurts. And even our little friend Dot has learned that for that to happen, we need to stop thinking about how others should be loving us. Stop focusing on ourselves. For in the church, there are no rights, only responsibilities. And so each one of us are called to love each other and to simply trust that the Lord will take care of our needs. But notice how Peter says that our love for one another should be sincere and that we should love each other deeply, and that we should love each other from the heart. My friends, if you're just going through the motions, if we're just doing our duty, just doing it to look good in front of others, well, we may as well not bother. But instead, let us focus, my friends, on that immense sacrificial love that the Lord has shown to us and may that truly inspire us to love one another 
from the heart. Finally, we want to look at chapter 2, verse 1, where Peter really, really drives it home. Peter says, if you truly crave the, the spiritual milk of holiness, seeking to grow up in your salvation, sincerely loving one another, then there are some things that you need to get rid of. He says, therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk. Malice is a general term that describes any form of ill will toward others in the church. It's characterised by unforgiveness, holding grudges, ungracious thoughts and feelings, hostility, even hatred. It reveals itself in the derogatory way a person speaks about others, about individuals or groups in the church, about leadership or even about the church as a whole. Deceit, deceit refers to using dishonesty in order to hurt or harm others. It comes about through exaggeration or twisting the truth or withholding the truth with the intention of making others look bad, rousing suspicions and ruining relationships. <coughs> My friends, hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is putting up an outward show of personal holiness in order to cover up the evil thoughts, attitudes and intentions that lie beneath. It's about pointing the finger at others without recognising or acknowledging your own failings. It displays as an ungracious, uncaring self-righteousness. Envy. Envy is what happens when you despise the joys and the blessings that other people experience. Because you can only think about yourself. It could be other people's talents, or friends, or wealth, or popularity, or family, or opportunities. Envy lies behind many of the other unloving attitudes as you try to harm those who you're really jealous of. And finally, slander. Slander is using your tongue to put others down. It comes in many forms like gossip, criticism, insult, sarcasm, disparagement and discouragement. All of these sins are aimed at harming others. All of these sins are the very opposite of love. All of these sins are what can ruin the fellowship of God's church family. And yet there's not one of us who is immune. I know how guilty I am of these things. And I know that you are too. And so God is calling every one of us to pause and take a good hard look at our own attitude toward others in our church. Think about your resentful thoughts. Think about your sharp tongue. Think about your arrogance and your cynicism and your disrespect and your dismissiveness and your selfishness. And as you think about those things, make a commitment to get rid of those things. Stop accepting them. Stop making excuses. Stop thinking that it's clever to act in those ways. 
We need to recognise these things in ourselves. We need to bring them before the Lord, seeking his forgiveness and asking him to give us the strength to change. We need to remember, my friends, the amazing grace that our God has shown to us and we need to strive to respond to that grace with holiness by loving each other deeply from the heart. For after all, my friends, Peter reminds us at the beginning of this book that we are exiles in this place and the opposition is building and we need each other. Why, oh why, would we fight each other? when we need each other, when we are brothers and sisters in Christ, saved by the same blood of Jesus. My friends, we need to love one another. My friends, we've been reminded today that we and all true Christians have been born again by the seed of God's word. We were dead in our sins, but yet given new life in Jesus Christ. He has washed us clean. He has transformed our hearts. He has set us on the road to eternal life. But just like a newborn baby who doesn't need to be taught to be hungry, who naturally longs to be fed, so now we naturally crave pure spiritual milk. For we've been reborn by the grace of our Saviour. And so surely we will desire nothing less than to grow up in our salvation. Surely we will be hungry for God's word. Surely we will be craving for his holiness. And surely we will be compelled to sincerely love one another as he has loved us first. Let's pray. Almighty God and loving Heavenly Father, it's hard for us to even understand how our salvation has come about. For Lord, you have reminded us in this passage today that, that we have been born again. And just as no baby can bring about their own birth, so neither can we. And Lord, we acknowledge before you now that it is all your work within us. Father, that you have worked in our hearts in such a way that we have recognised that we are sinful. That we have recognised that we are far away from you that we have recognised that, that our fate is not a good one. And Lord, you have so worked in our hearts that we have been able to turn to you in faith, that we have been able to repent of our wrongdoing and we have been able to cling to you with, with everything we have. And Father, we want to thank you that as we do that, you have shown us that we can receive your forgiveness through your own Son who willingly gave his life on the cross. And Father, it's, it's hard to put into words just how awesome these things are. But Lord, may we know it in our hearts. May we know full well that we have been given the greatest blessings there ever could be and that we have been given access to the, to the greatest news this world has ever known. And Father, we pray that we might remember these things, that we might focus on the salvation you have given us and the, and the eternal life that lies ahead of us. And Father, may that affect us in real ways. Lord, we pray that just as a baby craves for its mother's milk, 
that we too would crave for pure spiritual milk, the milk of holiness, the milk of love for one another. And Lord, we know that there are many times when we allow ourselves to to forget these things. Lord, we know there are many times when we think badly of each other and we speak in ways that are only intended to harm. Lord, we pray for your forgiveness. And Lord, we ask that as a church family together, that you would indeed work in us and that you would teach us to love each other more and more. Lord, that we would learn what it really means to put each other first. Lord, that we would truly learn what it means to to sacrificially give so that others may benefit. And Father, we pray that as we do that, that we would know you better, that we would indeed taste more and more that you are good. And Lord, we pray that as that grows in this church, that it may be a great witness to others. Lord, that people may indeed look at us and know that we are Christians by our love. Father God in heaven, please work in us this day. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.